are listening to Meet and Write, a podcast that dives into liturgical worship and how communion really begins after church. Well, welcome everyone to another episode of Meet and Write. I'm excited to have a good friend of mine, Dr. Mina Merholm, with us talking about a very unique subject. So Mina is a physician who specializes in mental health care. He went to medical school in Rowan University in New Jersey and was trained in Mount Sinai's health system in New York City. He is the co-founder of the first free Comptic Comptic Mental Health Center in Cedar Grove, New Jersey. He is the co-author of Master the Boards, Step 2, and Neuroscience for Psychiatrists. So, Mina, thank you so much for taking the time and being with us here on Meet and Write. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for your kind introduction. uh, Those are really nice things to say. Not a problem. Mina, let's just jump right into it. Just as the name of this podcast says... What on earth is liturgical therapy? Maybe those are two words we've never really heard being put together. You know, I hope so. I think if you Google it, I tried actually to Google it, and I came across some funny, really random things. And that's uh, So it's two things that we usually don't think that they go together. Um, so whenever we break it down, let's try to kind of take a step back and, and go fancy and go to the Greek, right? So we know that liturgical or liturgy is the work of the people. And we know that the word... Therapy is something we probably hear in the context of, you know, physical therapy or cognitive behavioral therapy or things like that. And therapy in the old school Greek word is therapia, uh, which you probably could have guessed. It's kind of like, you don't know a Spanish word, you throw an O at the end of it, you figure that's what it means. (laughs) (laughs) But what that is, is actually the word for healing. So liturgical therapy, the reason why I thought this is an amazing title, by the way, that you came up with. Thank you for that. It's basically bridging the two things, which is the work of the, the the work of the people is actually the healing of our souls and bodies. And that's what God is doing with every liturgical service that we have, whether it's the casual Sunday morning or, you know, our, our daily prayers or, you know, all the practices that the church has put into place. The goal, what Christ is really doing is this transformative healing. You know, that's the mm. process here. Uh, and the cool thing is, the, the one of the reasons I'm excited to dive into this is that a lot of the things that we, you know, that science has kind of caught up with in later time, uh, all these therapeutic techniques or ideas or things that are ways to basically heal the soul, heal the, the spirit, heal the mind, are rooted in our liturgical practices. So that's why I thought it was kind of exciting. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I love the phrase myself, and I, I like how you broke it down for us. I mean, as liturgy is work of the people, and therapy is 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 healing of our souls. And, and that's exactly what happens every time we gather around the table of the Lord, and even beyond that. Just as the tagline of this podcast, uh, podcast says, is that liturgy really begins after communion. Is that communion is a time for us to recharge, and then we continue to live out Him in our daily lives, and, and continue to live a liturgical life, to heal us and to heal others around us. So, Mina, my, my, my question, another question I have for you, like, are there specific practices that we see in our ancient faith, that we see in our rites or rituals of our church that, you know, maybe implement this uh, liturgical therapy that, that you're talking about? Totally, totally. And, uh, and also, I couldn't agree with you more in terms of the, the idea that the liturgy, because of this ongoing work, right, that kind of doesn't end on Sunday, but really kind of begins. Um, so specifically, though, you know, there are a lot of buzzfeed, buzzwords, not buzzfeed, buzzwords, that you <laughs> kind of hear these days if you, um, 
you you know just see an article or see kind of popular ideas about therapy things like meditation or mindfulness mm. you know to and these are things that we were probably familiar with and they're now beginning to be more popular and they're beginning to catch you know interest of the mainstream world and if you dig a little bit deeper into the things that we do that we sometimes do you know without really appreciating them something that can be a little bit tough to swallow initially maybe a long hymn or maybe uh you know what i mean like uh the, the repetition of certain phrases you know i think we say lord have mercy a couple of times in the literature i'm sure there's a podcast about that yeah. right so these practices are actually very much in tune and like in line with this idea of meditation mindfulness the church fathers use different terminology they they use this phrasing of kind of watchfulness or um, watchfulness is kind of the equivalent of of mindfulness. So let me explain that for a second. The idea of mindfulness in the current psychological world is being aware of everything that you're doing and not just doing things passively or letting kind of the world come to you and you just, you know, you're binging Netflix for eight hours at a time. Next mm. thing you know, it's like the next day, right? Yeah. Watchfulness in the early patristic idea that's embedded in the liturgy is every moment, is carefully constructed and carefully kind of reviewed so that you're aware of the thought that you have you're aware of the impact of that thought having on your heart you know they use the term watchfulness and they also use the phrase kind of the the guarding of of one's heart you know the noose that's these are some of the terms that they use and and the mirror of it in in modern practice uh, whether it's something like mindfulness or the other big idea too is meditation uh, meditation has now been mm. evidence-based and, and proven to show that there is direct, you know, benefit to you uh, psychologically. There's direct benefit physically. And for us, one of the examples that I think of sometimes is liturgically. When we are meditating on, let's say, pick a throne, right? When we're thinking about the throne of the Lord coming up now in Lent and taking a very small phrase or a short phrase, and really delving and getting lost in the vows, almost, you know, getting lost in in um, the reality of what this means for our, our lives and our hearts. This is this kind of meditation where you're not now thinking about yourself, you're not thinking about your problems, you're not thinking about things that you did wrong and your mistakes and what you could be doing the next day. You allow yourself to get almost lost in something other than yourself, and that's something in the liturgy, in liturgical therapy, is the person of Christ. Whether it's the throne of Christ, or whether it's the love of Christ, or the mercy of Christ. So in some ways, it's like a guided meditation. You know, it's a meditation mm -hmm. that the church is taking you on and saying, yes, you could uh, do, you know, kind of mainstream meditation, which just be to think about nothing, or think about your own breath, or think about your diaphragm, or things like that. That would be cool. I love your diaphragm. But something <laughs> cooler than the diaphragm is this majestic, you know, reality of the throne of Christ and what that means to you. Another thing that I think about a lot too is a practice that's used a lot in our Orthodox church is this, the prayer of um, the Jesus prayer, you know, it's a mm. short prayer, my Lord Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And part of its design, you know, even though it wasn't made by psychologists, it was by, it was by patristic, you know, scholars and church fathers, is it was almost made to mirror our breathing pattern which is another big teaching in meditation, you know, when you breathe in a certain part of it, you know, my Lord Jesus Christ, and you breathe out, 
have mercy on me. And you breathe in a sinner. It's, it's just, it was made to be kind of this perpetual daily, all the time kind of um, prayer that's doing a real work kind of throughout the day. So these are some, some examples. I mean, there's a lot of them and there are, there are some even literally specifically, but I don't know how, I don't want to ramble the whole time. I want to just. Uh, no, I mean, um, those are, those are great examples. You know, the funny thing is we hear the word, you know, being mindful uh, and mindfulness and things like that. And we, and these are like trendy, catchy words today, like you mentioned. Um, but in reality, in our ancient faith, we've been, we've been ahead of the game. We've been doing this for 2000 years. Uh, but maybe it comes in a different form that maybe like we see this stuff being practiced in church saying, Lord, have mercy, you know, a little bit more than a couple of times, like you mentioned, or some of these rhythmic uh, prayers or some of these melismatic hymns. But in reality, this routine, this rhythm that exists in our liturgical life, in our ancient faith, is liturgical therapy, is what nourishes us. And, and this mm. rhythm that exists, you know, feeds the deepest part of our soul and connects us at the deepest level with our Heavenly Father if we dive into it more than just at a superficial level and, and dive deeper in, and to see how can this nourish the deepest part of me. Exactly. Exactly. And I think what's cool too, is that when we're aware that this was done on purpose, you know, this wasn't done by accident and we're trying to find meaning in it, but rather that, you know, the liturgy was constructed in such a way. I think when, when you just think about the way we worship, God really had in mind what our soul needs, what our soul desires, you know, what would be, the way to have full healing. And, and, and that's why, I mean, sometimes I'll, I'll just be honest with you, right? Confession time, you're a priest now, so it's okay. <laughs> right. I, I used to sometimes get a little bit annoyed when I was younger, like, ah, oh, like what's the point of this practice or what's the point yeah. of that practice or this long hymn. Right. And then when I, when I studied a little bit more and I realized, you know, at work, I'm, I'm doing this guided meditation with people or, or people are teaching me how to meditate and it's like the same idea, and they're just teaching me about benefits to just clear your mind, or to think about you know one thing for ten minutes. And I thought, man, that's what a hymn is doing. You know, it's yeah. guiding me in that same concept. And then the other part too that I wanted to mention is besides the the melody and besides the guided meditation piece, even in the liturgy itself, right? There are a couple of things that we that are also ingrained in us. Uh, you know, one thing like knowing that you're starting a lot of our prayers, whether it's a funeral or, uh, you know, a wedding or anything in between with the prayer of Thanksgiving, right? And the church is emphasizing mm. to us in any liturgical practice that there's this gratitude is essential to anything you're doing, whether you're dying or living or marrying or being a priest or whatever. And now what's cool, there's there's actually an evidence-based, you know, peer-reviewed, clinical several clinical trials that showed the benefit of gratitude on your physical health and on your emotional health as well and the opposite of it too they showed that there is a i mean this this was shocking to me when i first heard it that there is a mortality risk meaning like you have a higher risk of actually doing worse after a surgery for example if you don't approach it with gratitude but rather you feel that god is somehow personally against you you know, so it was, mm. it was kind of amazing for gratitude. The other part, too, for forgiveness, too, the, when you think about starting the liturgy in the prayer of reconciliation, reconciling with, with yourself, reconciling with God, reconciling with your brother, 
same thing too. The, the literature now is catching up to what we've been teaching the world for, for centuries or, you know, more than that is that there is real healing to your soul and your physical body too. You know, your stress level decreases, stress hormones go down overall, you know, over a long period of time, your chances of, you know, just living longer increase when you have a real practice of forgiveness, that there is no bitterness in your heart. And the church in the liturgy is telling you, listen, man, you're going to come and you want to have the Eucharist. You start by reconciling. And we're not just saying that you should reconcile um, for the sake of this is healing. This is liturgical therapy. I, I love it. You know, it's, it's, we kind of isolate like liturgy and liturgical practices as just something, you know, spiritual, Wh whatever that, whatever, however yeah. you, you want to look at yeah. that. But in reality, it, it, it's holistic healing. It, it's, it makes us whole from, from, from a scientific perspective, from a, from a psychological perspective, just like you mentioned. Um, so yeah, I mean, you, you bring up great points. Mina, I know mental health is such a loaded uh, phrase, and I know it's it, it can be broken down into many different uh, perspectives and different angles as we look at mental health. And, and maybe we'll have more episodes on mental health and liturgy, but are there times, are there times where our mental health can interfere with our liturgical worship? Is there times where our mental health can, can affect our participation or our engagement and liturgical worship or in, in, in benefiting from some of these practices that you mentioned? Absolutely, man. And the, the part of, sadly, yes, I wish it wasn't the case. I wish I could say, nah, it's not really related. Now, when I was trying to think of how to kind of relay this, I'm, I'm going to give an example, right? For me, when I was in high school, um, I, I broke my foot. Mm. It was a tragic, you know, Matanya accident. I was just going really hard <laughs> on, and, uh, no, I think I got crossed up playing basketball or something, right? So I broke my foot, and it's not like a spiritual injury. It's just my foot, like I broke my foot, right? Yeah. And But it had a very real, you know, it was a real obstacle to, okay, I got to figure out how to get to church. Well, I'm like hopping along in my crutches and doing this and that. Um, so it was it was irrelevant, you know, what the spirituality of the injury was, but it had an impact and on me just physically getting to church, being able to stand when I need to stand or kneel when I need to kneel or, you know, go to the communion line because some uncle would keep shoving me or whatever, right? Just the reality of it was there. Yeah. And I think something we don't often think about, but I mean, I see it a lot when I, when I see our people, you know, in, in therapy or, you know, at, at our work is sometimes maybe we're not able to focus in liturgy because we have a, a severe anxiety disorder. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Maybe you can't get our, get out of bed and get to church because there is severe depression, you know, and that's physically now shackling us to the point where I can't make it out of bed to church. I can't make it out of bed uh, to work. Um, it's, it's getting in the way of me being able to, to live my life, or I'm having difficulty also participating in liturgy because I have undiagnosed ADHD or mm -hmm. I'm struggling with a substance use disorder. So, you know, maybe I do a little something on the weekends. And now when I'm trying to come to church, people look at me all side eye. Um, you know, because they know that I'm struggling with something, but I'm trying to come in to get healing, you know, but it's still a barrier for me. So like you said, I mean, there's a gazillion, gazillion different, different kinds of examples, but, um, I think if it's something that we consider, you know, I saw a Coptic person recently who gave me this exact story when he came to my office said, you know, um, because of my anxiety, it's hard for me to 
you know, even to walk into a church because there's so many people. So I get, I just get yeah. really worked up and it's like tough, you know? So yeah. one part of it could just be knowing that this is related and knowing that the church is aware of this. And that because the church is, you know, is a hospital, um, it encourages us to, you know, I mean, be able to get healing for this element um, as well. And, and in, in the million dollar question, you know, about mental health, and you mentioned many different disorders when it comes to mental health. If I just look at ADHD or any of the other ones you just mentioned, what's the healthiest way for me to look at any mental health disorder? Is, is, is this a sin for me to have any, you know, this severe anxiety, for example, where it's hard for me to be engaged in liturgical worship and for me to be engaged in this life that our ancient faith gives us? Is this a sin? Or just a, a personal weakness. What, what's the healthiest way that we should be looking at, at these disorders that maybe I have, or we know someone that, that struggles with this? Yeah, that's a great question. I think because this one is particularly tough for us as as Orthodox people and as Coptic people, because there's a part of us that feels like you know what, especially this idea of depression or anxiety is, well, you know, if I had the peace of Christ, I wouldn't be anxious. If I had the joy mm. of Christ, I wouldn't be depressed, right? And that's the natural feeling. That's the natural inclination. Thank God. I mean, I, I can say this a million times over. Thank God that the um, contemporary teaching in the church, as well as the um, classic understanding of the church, whether you're looking at church leadership, you know, someone like His Grace Bishop Yusuf, or His Grace Bishop David, or Metropolitan Serapion, it's a unanimous teaching is that it is not understood as a sin or a weakness or, you know, a defect in our character, the reality of it, you know, when you go back to our theology, the way we understand diabetes, then the same way we understand uh, depression or anxiety or cancer, any illness that's now part of our nature was foreign to our nature, mm. right? And, and the fact that it crept in, you know, and now we're living with the consequences of it, with the result of it, is the reality. Um, yeah. And God is now, you know, able to transform us and able to re, uh, recreate us, right, in, in Christ. Um, but it's not something that when we're dealing with this or when, we're, or when someone else is struggling with it, the biggest thing we can do is to not give them a mistaken, you know, heretical understanding that this is your fault or that this is a sin that you have to deal with. Um, and thank God the church makes that point clear as well. And it's so easy for all of us to fall into that trap because, you know, a, a mental health disorder is not a visible disease or sickness. Mm. So mm. it's easy for us to say, oh, this person has, uh, you know, you know, this mental disorder because, you know, he sinned or he did this when he was young mm. or whatever. And it's mm. easy for us to jump into that because it's it's invisible. Yes. But but yes. like you said, it, it's it's a sickness. It's it's a fragmented part of who we are because of our brokenness. Right. Right. But the best but the best part is that our Savior, our Heavenly Father, desires to heal every aspect of who we are, every aspect to make us whole. And our ancient faith is, is holistic, is holistic healing. Mm -hmm. And liturgy is liturgical therapy. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. the, the thing that I hear from, from many people, from many Orthodox Christians is, okay, you know what? You know, our go-to, if you have an exam, a big exam tomorrow, you need, you know, or you have a... a a, a, a court uh, hearing the next day <laughs> yeah. or you have the flu. Our go-to thing is you don't need medicine. You don't need this or whatever. 
just just pray about it come to liturgy mm. this day mm. and take communion and everything will be fine you don't need to take any medicine for for this disorder or for for anything in mental health or physically related i've heard many people say if i just take communion i'm good to go because that that's god inside of me nothing else is needed what are your mm. thoughts on that yeah i hear you on that because that's uh it's it's funny because in in some ways it's almost impossible to give too much credit to communion but but what we can do i guess as as culturally not theologically is we can misunderstand you know the the phrase that's used in patristic teaching of that this is the medicine of immortality right mm. the, the body and blood of christ that's given for the remission of sins that really does you know do a wonder in us that's kind of beyond beyond words however <laughs> um What's important for us to keep in mind is that Christ, in his infinite wisdom, has given us the tools and the necessary uh, kind of resources for our healing in different dimensions, right? So, so we know that if I'm, if I had literally, you know, one example is if I have, I have diabetes and my blood sugar is out of control, it's like that old story, you know, that uh, of, the, of the person who was... Uh, caught in a flood and then there was uh, a boat that came by he said no nah, i don't want the boat that's going to save me god is going to send me someone and then a helicopter <laughs> came and a jet came and all these things came and the person got to heaven and he said god why don't you save me he said man i sent you a boat and a helicopter and a, and a jet like what else do you want me to do right? yeah we're at a point where we're thank god god has provided us the eucharist and god has provided us medicine and god has provided us physicians and and in one of our Deuterocanonical books in, in Sirach 38, um, the scripture teaches us that, that medicine and healing is from the Lord, you know, and, mm. and there's, there's nothing that, there's no, every good and perfect gift, as St. James says, is, is from God, right? So there's mm. nothing good that comes to us that's outside of God, but we have to understand that the Eucharist has a particular, you know, role and purpose in our healing, and then so does having a therapist, and so does uh, having a counselor. You know, last weekend, actually, I was at a retreat where we got to hear a great talk from a priest who takes confessions and also does counseling because he is a therapist. Right? Mm. And he, in himself, he doesn't see any, uh, you know, that dichotomy is, is, is fine because those are two distinct roles that God has glorified in both. You know, there is yeah. no uh, separation in those two things. So to put it simply, maybe also so that we can kind of remember it, is that the church does not we as an orthodox church don't say that you cannot take medication um for things but rather as you take medication you thank god that god has provided us with these medications absolutely absolutely and, and we need both of course like you said communion is there to make us whole because we are part, we are partaking of one who is whole but at the same time we can also take you know medicinal medicine because this like as you said this comes from above um, and, and God has given us both to make us whole. You know, just mm. to give a, a few examples of just seeing how our ancient faith is there to make us whole, even in our prayers, our prayers, which has existed for centuries. We're not just praying every service, just saying, Lord, bless us, heal us. Mm. But we, we get specific. Like our prayers are personal our, because our Heavenly Father is personal. And mm. just to give you an example, in our, in our standard fraction, that we pray in the same basal liturgy. We say, Lord, purify our souls, our bodies, mm. our spirits, our hearts, our eyes, our understanding, 
our thoughts in mm. our consciousness. Like we're not just saying, Lord, just bless me, mm-hmm. but we get detailed. We're saying, Lord, make me whole every aspect from my mental mm-hmm. health to my physical health to my to my eyes to my heart to to my to my soul to my body to every aspect. I want it to be whole, and mm-hmm. you have come down to make me whole. And 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 the more we kind of like see the beauty of of and, and the richness of our prayers, mm-hmm. then we can realize that that God desires for me to be whole more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Another example that we see in our in our hymns, a hymn that that many of us hear for different occasions is is Ip-Oro, or the hymn of joy, mm-hmm. and it has various verses. And in one of the verses near the end, we say, "May He bless us all, and purify our hearts, and heal the sicknesses of mm-hmm. our souls and our bodies. Mm-hmm. May He bless us all, purify our hearts, and heal the sicknesses of not just our souls." But of our bodies as well. Right. So we're asking always God for for healing for for the for the visible sickness and for the invisible sickness. Mm. If it's mental or if it's breaking our ankle playing basketball, like you mentioned, right. Right. that we're asking God to heal it all. So true. It's so true because the the reality is God is the physician of our souls and our bodies, and there is not a part of us that He's not concerned of. Right? Concerned with. Right? That when He says that every hair is numbered, that's that's a reality. And I think even what's interesting, too, is even now secular, you know, quote unquote, teaching is catching up with that, too. Understanding that the human is, you know, they call the model is bio, psycho, social, spiritual. Mm. You know, you have a body, you have a mind, you have a soul, you have this like all of those things are integrated to make you who you are. And that, the, you know, the world now is realizing that if you, your body could be fine, but if your soul is struggling, you're still going to struggle. And God has been teaching us for a long time, like you're saying, through our liturgical practices, that your soul must be healed, and so must your body, and so must your mind, and so must your heart. You know, they're all together. You're not separated. You're not disjointed. You're you're one person. Yeah, that, that's a great point, Mina. And and this has been such a great eye-opening podcast episode for us to realize how liturgy is there as therapy to heal every aspect of who we are, like you mentioned. Mina, I can't thank you so much for, for taking the time for this for this episode and for sharing this. And and just for anyone out there that's listening, that that maybe y- you feel like you have some type of mental you know anxiety or disorder that you feel is 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 taking the best of you and 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 you you don't know where to go from here. Maybe you feel it's taboo or you don't know where to go. Please, please contact us here at, at the podcast episode here at Meet and Write. It goes directly to me, Father Nathaniel, and, and I'd I'd love to get you connected to to Mina Merhom or or for any mental health clinic that can help you. Also, Mina's clinic uh, that's free uh, is is also their number is also listed in the description of this podcast for anyone who is interested. Thank you again, Mina, for your time and for sharing with us on how liturgy can be therapeutic. Thank you so much, Father Nathaniel. This has been amazing. You have been listening to Meet and Write. For more episodes and resources, make sure to check out CopticHymnsInEnglish.com.